stay standing for a minute if you would. Just stay there. And when we come into a time like this and we're singing, we're singing about hope, we're singing about faith, we're singing about love, about how he holds us, how he's there for us. And, and yet at the same time, we look at our world and we see so much pain and we see so much uh, evil and hurting. And uh, oftentimes we're caught in this time between uh, the way that we want it to be, or the way that it is, and the way we want it to be. And so when we're serious, we're talking about that, how to live in that time. And, you know, it said right there in that song, it says, Christ before me, Christ behind me, I am firmly held. Do you believe that? He's before me, he's behind me, I am firmly held. I'm just going to ask you to do something right now. I don't think I've ever done this in 28 years, okay, 27 years. I'm going to ask if you would, if you just reach your hands to the people next to you. Just reach your hands to the people next to you. If you're apart, just please come together. Hold hands. Just touch each other. What I want you to know right now is this. I want you to feel flesh. And I want you to understand that you are not alone. You are not alone. Christ before me, Christ behind me, I am firmly held by him. And as we're going to look at and talk about today, by my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ as we come together, that we are not alone. So I'm going to ask you to go ahead and have a seat now. Thanks so much for doing that. Just hope that helps as we talk at our time today. But I want to begin with a prayer. Um, those of you who watch news in the morning, uh, which I do, and so I was looking at news feeds at 4 a.m., uh, and my normal wake-up time, and so I saw that there was another killing this morning, um, uh, last night, this morning, however you view time, and so um, nine more people were shot and killed in Dayton, Ohio, and 20-something are injured. Yesterday, 20 were killed in El Paso, 20-some injured. Um, the death toll is like, likely to go up in both places, and so we feel this tension, and we feel this anger inside about what is going on and what's happening. And sometimes we wonder, what can we do? What can we do? And especially those of us who so, are so far away from that kind of situation. And uh, I, I'm a personal believer in prayer, and I believe that prayer matters and prayer changes things. And so what I'd like to do is i just like to lead us in a prayer um, for the folks who live in those cities and for us as well. So if you just bow your heads a moment, I'm going to begin with just a moment of silence just to let you offer your thoughts your prayer. All I can imagine is the homes that um, have no loved one coming home today. Hey, you just go to the store, or you go out with friends, and then there's just wanton murder. And now we have families who are destroyed, who are broken apart. We have pain and questions and anger and all these feelings inside, God, and Lord, we just want to bring those to you right now. Just trust that you are here and Jesus, that you are with us. And 
we just want to lean into you. We want to sense your presence here. And we want to ask you, Jesus. Jesus, you are the hope of the world. We want to ask you that you would bring your power to bear, that you would bring your presence, that, Jesus, you would change the course of the direction that things are going, and that, God, that you would use us. We want to be your ambassadors, Christ's ambassadors in this world to bring perspective, to bring hope, to bring love, to bring compassion. So, Jesus, I want to pray for those families, and I hurt so much, Jesus. We go back to Gilroy at the start of the week. It's so hard, Jesus. And I thank you that, God, you say you're the God of all comfort. I've experienced that comfort in death before multiple times. And I thank you right now that you are bringing your comfort to bear. But I also know that you use your people as your ambassadors of comfort. And so I pray that you would help us to know how we can help right here in our community as people have questions and as they have anger and uh, they wonder where you're at, God. What are you doing? Did you cause this? Could you have stopped it? Lord, I pray that you would help us to learn to be able to rest and trust you in circumstances and situations even that we don't understand, Jesus. We come together, we sing, we pray, we touch, we listen, we teach. All these are the things we do while we're waiting on you, Jesus. And we do them out of faith. Let our faith arise as we just sang. And I pray today that you would strengthen our faith. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. That's just rough stuff, isn't it? Just rough stuff. You know, um, I already had my talk written, at least the first part, um, before last night's killings, obviously. And so I thought, well, I might change it now because maybe I need to be a little more somber this morning. But I thought, you know, I don't think I am going to change it. I think I'm just going to leave it the way it is because I don't know about you, but I could use a little good news. How about you? I could use a little good news. We just turn to your neighbor right there and say, you look like you could use some good news, okay? Would you do that with me? Wow. Well, I thought I'd begin today with something I saw this week that made me smile and warm my soul. How many of you have seen the new Lion King movie and the new, you know, CGI generated? How many of you liked it? How many of you didn't like it? Uh, the CGI is a little much for me, I just got to say. Uh, but I'm going to watch, I wanna, we're going to watch a clip now. And this is pastor, there's no pastor, Travis Kinley. He's a pastor from Sumter, South Carolina who got on a dare, he got his circle of life around him, which would be his two horses and his donkey. And he sang the song, The Circle of Life. And I want you to watch this. Had to get all the animals around me for this one. 
my goodness. Oh, that was so fun. So I saw an interview of him, and he had no idea how this was going to go. He didn't expect that at all. And the donkey starts saying, never donkeys never sang before. <laughs> and so he and the donkey are famous, somewhere up into 4 million views right now uh, since he posted that 42 second. But you know what? I also know this. It's good to laugh, but it's good to laugh more. So let's watch it again, okay? <laughs> had to get all the animals around me for this one. of you are going to live longer now because you got to laugh this morning. Oh, my goodness. Oh, okay. Let's go home. Oh, my word. Okay. So now grab your message notes out of your program. Look like this. You'll be able to follow along. Grab your Bible. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. That's where we're at today in this series that we've been enjoying together. just want to mention this. If you don't have a Bible, we want to give you one so you can stop right out there as you leave today at the bookshelves, and you'll find some Bibles there that you can look at as well. So we're in this series that we're calling Hope Rising. It's based on the book of 1 Thessalonians, and it's all about Paul writing back to them uh, to encourage them, the, people, the church that he planted, the church that he started. And so this church was started somewhere around uh, 50, let's see, 49 AD, something like that. And so it's 16 years after Jesus was crucified and he rose again. So the church is, I mean, everything's new. Everything's rough. Everything's, you know, kind of uh, edgy that they're doing. Nobody has a clear idea. Only Paul and the apostles have a clear idea, even the message. And so they're going around starting churches. And then in this case, what they did is they started a church there in Thessalonica. And then because they were disrupting the local idol trade business, um, then they were in the home of Jason, uh, that the... Uh, city officials came and they ran Paul and Silas and Timothy. And we know Luke was there too because he was the recorder. He was the scribe. And so they ran them out of town. And so they get down the road a ways in Athens and Paul's going, golly, you know, we were only there. They, we don't know how long he was there. Three weeks, a month, maybe two months. He taught three times in the synagogue. We know that. And that's all we really know, how long he was there. And so he's thinking about back to them. He's fallen in love with them because of their love for Jesus and their excitement about Jesus. And he's thinking, I, I need to get back there. I need to get back there. But we read last week, we saw last week, he was opposed from going back there by the evil one. And so he's worried about them. And so he sends Timothy back. Now, the reason he probably sent Timothy is that more than likely Timothy wasn't the, you know, the guy on the stage when they did their teaching there in Thessalonica, so he was a little less known. And so Timothy goes back and he checks on them to see how they're doing. He's there for a little while. He does some things that we're going to look at today. And then he goes back and he tells Paul, and Paul's heart is so warm by what he said that he writes then this letter of encouragement to them in 1 Thessalonians. Uh, and that's what we're looking at. And so what we're talking about, he's talking about to them about 
how do we, they had questions, okay? How do we live in this time between the fact that we believe Paul, we believe that Jesus was God, we believe that he died for us, we believe that he rose again, we believe that he went to heaven. How do we live between now and the time that we get to be with him? It's a rough world. It's a rough place. There's a lot of persecution. There's a lot of questions. There's a lot of difficulty. There's a lot of struggles. How do we live between now and not yet? And so our series is called Hope Rising, Living Between Now and Not Yet. And so Paul knows that they're suffering, and so he writes this letter. And so what's really cool about this, Paul is their spiritual parent. You know, Paul gets a bad rap many times for people thinking he's too harsh, he's too rule-oriented, but here you're going to have all the warmth of Paul. He's writing as their spiritual parent. He refers to himself a couple of times. We saw last week and again this week as, as their father and then as their mother both. So he's very nurturing in this letter that he's writing to them. And so today what we're going to do is ch chapter 3 is more of his pastoral words to them about how do they live between the time of now and not yet. So I'm going to ask you to listen with that kind of attentiveness for his words of comfort and guidance and assurance as he gives them hope. So what I did is I divided this chapter up into four sections, and that's how we're going to walk through those four sections today so that we can take some principles and take some ideas and some thoughts from what he said about how you and I can flourish even though we face difficult times. So I want to mention a book to you. And this is in our bookstore. I have several pastor's picks for this series that'll help. Some on hope, some on heaven, uh, some on uh, First Thessalonians. And in this one, it calls This Is Our Time. And it's a, a guy writing, and he's talking about with all the things that we see in our world today that we think, think are bleak and we think are terrible for Christianity, he wants to reframe that and say, God's in this. God's in this. God's in what, the details of today. So it's called This Is Our Time. If you want to look at that, before you leave today, that would be really cool. So I'm going to give you four keys um, to growing our faith muscles and uh, four keys to growing a flourishing hope. And the first one is, if I want a flourishing hope, I need to pursue biblical teaching. I need to pursue biblical teaching. I think one of the things I want to just point out right now is that some of you are struggling in your walk with God. Some of you are struggling in your faith. You're struggling about wondering where God is. You're, you're feeling stuck. Maybe you feel stagnant. You're wondering what's wrong with you. You're wondering what's wrong with the church. You're wondering, wondering what's wrong with God. And so as we go through this today, these four keys to how to grow in my flourishing hope are also the keys to how to grow in my faith, to grow in my intimacy with God. And so if you look at these four things today, you might think, well, maybe one of these is missing. Maybe I'm not engaging in one of these, and that could be one of the reasons that you're struggling in your faith. If we're going to have time, hope in times of suffering, we need to know God's perspective. So this is what he begins with verses 1 and 2. So when we could stand it no longer, remember what we talked about, he's like, I can't wait, I can't wait, I can't wait. We thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who was our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ. So we talked about the gospel every message of the series, so I'm not going to go into what that means today. The gospel of Christ sent Timothy to strengthen, underline that, encourage you, underline that, in your faith, underline that. I'd like you to underline faith every time we find it today. But encourage, strengthen, encourage in your faith. So something special, I think, happened in Paul's heart when he was with the Thessalonians. 
Something special happened in his heart and because he wanted to return to them. And so we don't find him talking about any other church or any other body of believers. You go and read Second Thessalonians. He has the same warmth and the same love for them. And so he wants to help them to know as their spiritual parent, which is like I would want to do for my, as a physical parent to my kids, I want to help them know how to face difficult times. That's what he wants to help them to do. So he sends Timothy, and he sends Timothy to do two things with a byproduct. Two things. And the first was the word strengthen. So he sent them to strengthen them by teaching them sound doctrine. Because, once again, the teacher left. And we have people who have heard the gospel for three weeks. And now one of them is now the teacher of the church. And everybody else is you know, trying to figure it out. So they have a lot of questions about how to interpret what's happening. He says, you know, we need to send somebody back to teach. We need somebody back to teach them sound doctrine so they don't go off into the deep end. So he's talking about theology here. So he's going back to teach them theology. When he says strengthen, what he's doing is he says, I want to give them spiritual stamina. Spiritual stamina. That's what he's trying to give them. And I was thinking about, well, what's a picture of that? Well, this is kind of silly, but if you think about those um, uh, balloon things that have a little motor down here and you they're shaped like people like this, and you put the air in, and they're down like this, and all of a sudden they come up like this, and they're like this. Well, that's what he's doing. He's, he's taking them from down here. Oh, what was me? It's all bad. It's all terrible. I don't know what to do. I'm scared. And he said, I want to give you backbone. I want to give you strength. I want to give you strength that comes from knowing what God says comes from knowing who God is and the things about him. So he sent them to teach spiritual truth to them. And so that's one of the you know, beautiful things about biblical teaching is from biblical teaching, I get backbone. From biblical teaching, I get spiritual strength. And so what we need then is we need, uh, the given here then is that if I get backbone through spiritual teaching, I need to sit under what? Spiritual teaching. I need to make opportunity where I can be taught the things, the theology of the Bible. And then I study it, and then I practice it. And that's one reason going to church is so important. One reason I'm so glad that you're here today. Because it's wonderful to get biblical insights from your own study, from your own meditation, from your own you know, envisioning and imaginations with God and your own Bible. And you're doing that together. It's wonderful as Holy Spirit reveals God and himself to you. But it's even better when you can get the insights that others have gleaned from their study and their application of the scripture. So we need to have biblical teaching because it will strengthen us. Second thing he says, it will encourage us. So the word here is that I'm struggling along and I'm weak and I'm wobbly and I need someone to come alongside and help me to stand up. I need someone to come alongside and help to be help to hold me up. You know, the idea is that um, I'll come back to that in a minute. So we need someone. I'm jumping ahead of myself there, but the idea is that I need someone to come along and hold me up and encourage. And don't we all need that? Don't we all need encouragement? Anyone say you don't need encouragement? We all we hold. We have buckets with holes in them. We put our encouragement in there and it just runs out the bottom, right? And we just need to constantly have that filled up in some way. So God, biblical teaching is God's plan 
to strengthen us and to encourage us through knowing his truth, and you will get stronger in him, and you will have more hope, and your faith will be uh, expanded when you're able to have and ingest biblical teaching. Second idea is this. To growing, flourishing hope is to prepare for opposition. Is to prepare for opposition. Now, you just might want to add on here certain opposition, um, because guess what? It's coming. The Bible says don't be you know, questioning these fiery trials that come against you. Jesus himself said uh, that in this world you will have troubles. And so you know, one of the things, we just don't want to be surprised, folks, when we, when we receive opposition or we go through struggling. Problems are going to come. And the, one, the, the thing about problems is this, is that most times they wouldn't be a problem uh, if we knew they were coming. And we could prepare for them, and we'd be ready. And then we go, ah, oh, yeah, I can overcome this because I'm prepared. I, I've, had, I've thought through my response when these things might happen. So I love, we're going to go into uh, fun time here again. So Dr. Seuss, uh, Dr. Seuss has a book called Oh, the Places You Go. And so in the Oh, the Places You Go, this has become a book that's given out at graduation time to you know, seniors out of high school, seniors out of college. And it's a book to inspire them because all oh, the places you'll go, and it talks about all the wonder of that. But let me just read what the book actually says, okay? Let's look at what the book says. And then let's wonder why would we ever give this to a graduating senior, okay? So here we go. It says, you'll be on your way up. You'll be seeing great sights. You'll join the high flyers who soar to great heights. You won't lag behind because you'll have the speed. You'll pass the whole gang and you'll soon take the lead. Wherever you fly, you'll be the best of the best. Wherever you go, you will top all the rest. Isn't that great? Don't we all want that life? Don't we all want to believe that that's the way it's going to be? But then he goes on and he says this, except when you don't. Because sometimes you won't. I'm sorry to say so, but sadly it's true that bang-ups and hang-ups can happen to you. You can get all hung up in a prickly perch, and your gang will fly on, and you'll be left in a lurch. You'll come down from the lurch with an unpleasant bump, and the chances are then that you'll be in a slump. And when you're in a slump, you're not in for much fun. Unslumping yourself is not easily done. I'm afraid that sometimes you'll play lonely games too, games you can't win because you can't play against you. All alone, whether you like it or not, alone will be something you'll be quite a lot. And when you're alone, there's a very good chance you'll meet things that scare you right out of your pants. (laughs) What kind of graduation gift is that? (laughs) Oh, well, I'll tell you what kind it is. It's a great one, actually, because it's reality. It's the reality of life. And so you're saying to this you know, high school senior or college senior, you're saying, hey, what? You've got great plans. You've got great dreams. But I just want you to know there's also going to be some pitfalls along the way, be struggles, and you need to be ready for them. You need to not be surprised when they come at you. And that's what Paul's saying. So let's begin there, verse 3. So that no one would be unsettled by these trials. And so... Um, What he means by unsettled here is kind of what I was going to talk about when I said you need encouragement, is what he means by unsettled here is that I'm being pressed down, I'm being pushed on, and so much that I feel pressure, and that pressure is causing me to want to get wobbly. So I get wobbly. So you guys watch boxing, and you know that sometimes when that 
blow goes right to the chin, and the boxers, the, ring, the bell's ringing, the boxer's wobbling back to the corner, barely able to... That's the picture here. He says, don't be like that. He says, no, we don't want you to be like that. We want you to be able to stand strong and not to be pushed down by the pressures that come against you. So he says this, for we know quite well that we are destined for them. Oh, this is what I love about Paul, and I love about our church as well, um, because he says next, in fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. So he's been really honest. He's been saying persecution and opposition is going to come, and we've been telling you about that, and it turned out that we were right. It turned out that we were correct, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. There's that word faith again. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. So he's wondering, are they standing up to opposition? Are they standing up to pressure? So what does he mean by temptation there? Well, I think in context, what he means by temptation is the temptation to doubt that God cares, the temptation to doubt that God is with me, the temptation to doubt God's promises, the temptation to doubt God's word. I'm just here all the time. Is God really... Who he says he is, is he really going to do what he says he's going to do? And then, so that's one temptation. The second temptation is, this was kind of an interesting one, is that they were tempted to um, doubt that Paul cared. So Paul started the church, Paul taught them, and then Paul goes away. And now they're being persecuted because they said yes to the teachings that they had heard from Paul. And so they're tempted to wonder, does Paul really care? Can you imagine how those two things, does does God care and does Paul care, could be a great tool that Satan could use against them to derail them and take them off track? So how did they stand firm and flourish in opposition? Well, they knew that God was with them, biblical teaching. They knew that God was with them. They trusted God, not their circumstances. You guys remember we went through the 23rd Psalm, uh, living in the goodness of God, and one of the messages that, very very early on in that series, I talked about the fact that uh, we cannot judge God by our circumstances. Right? We can't you know, equate God with our circumstances. We must let God define our circumstances. And so that's what they were being called upon to do here based upon the truths that they knew about him. Even though others may be against us, we know that God is for us. So Paul says he's warned them. Hey, you're going to face this, and so don't be surprised when it comes. And so they couldn't say, you didn't tell us. He said, I didn't tell you. Uh, and they said, well, I didn't think it'd be this bad. And he goes, well, I didn't either. <laughs> Because think about all the things that happened to Paul that we read about. I'm sure he didn't think it would be that bad either. But it turned out to be opposition. So how do we prepare? So, okay, we want to be prepared for opposition. How do we do it? First, you expect it. You expect it. Just write that down somewhere on the bottom of that first side. You expect it. Realize that problems are normal, and then you expect them to come. Now, I don't want you to become Eeyores uh, that you walk through life and you think problems are everywhere. So that's not what I'm asking you to do. I'm just saying I want you to expect that problems are normal. And here's another thing. Problems will come at the most inopportune time. When do you ever get a flat tire, right? Is there ever a good time to get a flat tire? Ever a good time to have a dead battery? Ever a good time to have your cell die, your cell phone die, and you're like in the middle of something you need to do and your battery goes dead? It's not a good time. That's why it's important for us to be prepared for those when they come. So that's probably one of the biggest keys to facing opposition is to be ready for it and not to be surprised by it. Kind of like our current fire situation. You know, if I were to ask for a show of hands, I won't do this because I don't want to embarrass anybody. How many of you prepared? How many of you have gone through the Nevada County Fired Preparedness 
booklet and have made sure that you are ready for the, the eventual fire that could come to Nevada County. Are you ready for that? Well, we have opportunity. We have opportunity. We can get the book and we can get ready so that when it comes, we're not taken by surprise. And that's how we're talking about it. Because here, when you're prepared, you're more confident. Now, we never want to be overconfident in the face of fire, but we, in the face of problems, I think that it would you know, really be good for us to think, I'm prepared for these, and so I can be confident. I don't have to be afraid that they're going to derail me in some way. Because most of the times we're anxious because we just haven't thought through how we're going to solve the problems. We just haven't thought through those, and so we carry this you know, low-grade and some of it high-grade anxiety because we're not sure how we'll respond when they come. But Paul warned them, and they believed him, and they had been successfully weathering those storms. So the truth I want to share with you today is that in every life, a storm will come. Every life. Into every life, a season of storms will come. To every life, a season of suffering will come. Now, there's some seasons that some of you may be in today that you never expected it to be this tough. And you never expect it to last this long. And you think it's as, as bad as it can be. And then you wake up and it's worse. You wake up, it's harder. And when you can know that season is coming... You can be prepared for that season so that it doesn't knock you off rails. It doesn't cause you to doubt God and his goodness. Because you knew it was coming and you were prepared by knowing what he says about his presence in suffering. And so we can flourish when we know the one that says that nothing can separate us from him. So we expect it. Second is this. We need to reframe how we view trials. We need to reframe how we view trials. So... Every time you face a trial, you have the opportunity to become a better person. Every time. Trials can be the best shapers of character and the teachers of people. Embracing the trials that come at you is the pathway to becoming a better person. So as we face opposition in life, that opposition can become a tool that helps us become the person we were made to be. So I ran across this clip from Steve Harvey in my preparation for today. He's a great comedian, uh, but he, he just has a great command uh, when he speaks. And he's going to talk about a story, an opportunity, uh, where he was able to learn by facing opposition how to go beyond it and then how to actually excel. So let's watch this. My father came home. She said, Slick, which was my daddy's nickname. Your boy been up at the school being a smart aleck. Now, I already know I'm going to get a whipping for this. She said, uh, tell him what you wrote on your paper. And I said, I want to be on TV. And my father said, well, what's wrong with that? And she said, well, he being a smart aleck and putting something like that that's unbelievable on the paper. So my father said, Bill, how come the boy can't put on the paper he want to be on TV? So they were starting to get into an argument, so I got sent to my room, which I knew what that meant. That means go in your room, get ready, we're going to get this whooping, right? So I go in my room, and after having a discussion, my father came in the room. He said, all right, this is what I want you to do. What does she want you to put on your paper? I said, I don't know, Daddy, like a basketball player. What all the rest of the kids wrote? He said, well, put that on the paper. Take that to school tomorrow and give it to her. Take your paper and put it in your drawer. Every morning when you get up, read your paper. And every night before you go to bed, read your paper. After that, 
every year when the teacher was living, I used to send her a TV for Christmas <laughs> because I wanted her to see me. She saw me one year and she said, boy, you send me all these TV from wherever you are and you don't understand, I got too many TV. I have to get these TVs away sometime. I know, it's all right though. And I kept that paper. And that little boy with the stuttering problem is on TV seven days a week. Yeah. I'm on TV. All the time. You did. <laughs> uh, isn't that great? So opposition came and someone helped him through it by reframing it. And that opposition led him to be who he is today. You know, stuttering problem. I have a friend I got to see this summer when I was home in Oklahoma, and uh, he has a stuttering problem. And he told me that when he was a senior in college, um, that uh, he took a class, and in that class, the teacher told him, you need to find another career. And he did. And he ended up in a career that required him to give, he became the, um, the lead person in a plant. And so he had to give safety talks. And so he gave safety talks in front of everyone, and God helped him to overcome that. So he had an opportunity to be pushed down by someone, and he actually overcame it. And it helped him to have more empathy for others. It helped him to become who he is today. It was just an awesome thing to get to meet with him and be with him. So, okay, let's go to the third idea, or we're never going to get out of here. The third idea is this. To grow a, to, to a growing, flourishing hope is to prioritize spiritual friendships. So I've got, you know, bib, pursue biblical teaching. I need to prepare for problems and opposition when it comes, but I need to prioritize spiritual friendships. And this is where, you know, Paul is talking about his relationship with them. But Timothy just now has come to us from you and has brought us good news about your, oh, there's that word, faith, so underline that, and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we long to see you. So there's all this, you know, kumbaya stuff going on here, okay? And therefore, brothers and sisters, once again, terms of endearment here, brothers and sisters, family terms. See, Paul was there not to um, gain a following. He was there to build a family. And so that's what he did. He built a family in that church. And he says, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. Underline that. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. So he's talking to them about being brothers and sisters and family. I mean, I just want to say it this way, folks. We cannot make it in this life without spiritual friendships. We can have friends. But when we cannot make it in this life with hope without friends who buoy us up by what they've learned from God's word, by what they've learned from facing opposition with God and how he's been there for them. And then now they come and they help us in our circumstances and our situation to reframe the situations that we're in. And so that's what Steve Harvey's dad did for him is he reframed this whole thing here and he says, no, you put this in your drawer and you just put it in your drawer and that's who you can be. And he reframed it for him. See, there are some trials and struggles and persecutions and oppositions and temptations that are so hard and prolonged. It doesn't matter how strong you are. It doesn't matter how much Bible you know. It doesn't. 
you won't be able to stand without the support of spiritual friends. You won't be able to do it. So it doesn't matter who's standing with you. It matters. Let me say it again. It matters who is standing with you. You're only as strong as the people who stand with you. So you need to look around and you need to look at the people that you're looking to for support. And you need to say, are, are these people pursuing God? Are these people, you know, people have faced opposition? Are these people that are also having other spiritual friendships? Because they're the ones who can help me as well. So in a world where anyone can feel alone in the crowd, we need to be fully present in each other's lives. Last idea. Prepare for opposition. We have pursue spiritual teaching, biblical teaching, prepare for opposition, prioritize spiritual friendships. And fourth, we need to excel in prayer. We need to pray earnestly. Pray earnestly. We need to excel in prayer. And so this is going to be, we're going to wrap up right now today. And um, I actually knew this is where I'd wrap up today because I want to come back and we're going to talk more about prayer when we get to the end of chapter 5. End of chapter 5, we're going to talk about more about prayer. But I don't want to, in any way for you to believe that I'm diminishing the priority of prayer right now. In any way. By not covering it more in depth. But I want us to understand that we must pray earnestly. We must pray earnestly. And so that probably means fasting so that I'm doing without not so that God gives me something in return, but so that I'm focused on him with more intensity as I'm bringing my body into submission. So it requires fasting. It requires being alone. It requires uh, purposeful meditation. As we do battle. That's what prayer is. It's, we're doing battle when we go to prayer. And this is what Paul says. He says, now we thank God enough for you. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day, underline that, night and day, we pray most earnestly that we might see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. There it is again. He wants to help their faith to grow. So the bottom line is this. Flourishing hope is grown by faith. In case you didn't know that was what the answer would be. It's grown by faith. And our faith grows as we pursue biblical teaching, as we prepare for opposition, certain opposition, as we prioritize spiritual friendships, and as we pray earnestly. So look at those four things. You think about those four things. Is one of those missing from your life? Are you engaging in all four? Because it's as you engage in all four that you are developing and growing in your faith. And then you can grow into having a flourishing hope, and you can do what James says in this last verse when he says this, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature, mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you so much for your word, and I thank you for the power in it. I thank you for Paul. I thank you for his uh, passionate writing here, his personal writing. And I just pray for us today, God, as each one of us, that we would be thinking about our own walk with you, our own faith, 
And uh, Lord, maybe some of us are feeling like our faith is in entropy and it's not growing. And, and we just realized today that uh, we, there's reasons why, and it's because we're not engaging uh, our heart. We're not picking up these keys that can open up the doors. And so I pray, God, that you would help us to be not just because we've been told today, not because it's a rule or it's a regulation or we think it's going to please you, but because we want to know you more. We want to engage with you in these practices that are going to help us grow in our trust in you and our faith in you, Jesus. We thank you so much that we're going to believe that who you say you are and that you can do what you say you can do. I once again want to pray for those that we know who are hurting today. Your presence would be with them. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.